Continuing on. So those who rudely rejected the gospel, most of the ones that Paul preached to, many of them rejected it, and he got persecution from this. And so if you give the true gospel to certain people, especially the age we live in, they're not going to like it. Of course, I see false menaces. Oh, just believe in Jesus. Just confess Jesus. They don't talk nothing of wrath, sin, judgment, repentance, because they're preaching a false gospel. See, You can't just accept Jesus if you don't repent and commit yourself to serve him. And then when you repent, it means you turn your back on the world and he forgives your past sins. And now I'm going to serve the Lord and not myself and the devil. Well, all the other gospels just believe and confess. That's no gospel. It's a false gospel. Okay? But if you give the true gospel, Jesus of the world hates you. They don't like it. And it disturbs them. When the true gospel is given, it convicts. It disturbs a person's conscience. And most people don't receive the gospel, but their conscience gets disturbed. And then they retaliate. They don't like it figure they're as good as you. How dare you? And the lying spirits motivate them anyway. So if you're given a true gospel, it's not going to be a bit of roses all the time. And more so in the dark age we live in. As I've said, Paul said a heretic, when a heretic is in the church and he starts believing and teaching false things, he says you warn him two or three times and then you throw him out. You have nothing to do with him. He didn't say you go and pester these people for 20 years while they're dying on their bed, try to get them converted. You find no such teaching in the Bible. You can go to a, a person dying that's never heard the gospel, and maybe God's being merciful. But he's not toward those who spent 20, 30, 40 years ashamed of him and don't want to live it, that he wants to sneak into the kingdom because he's fearful. That's just a fear of judgment. That don't mean he's repentant. He's just a fear of being punished. His conscience starts to tell him he's in trouble. Read the Old Testament. It was still applied. Jesus said he'll mock them in their fear. The day of fear, when they die, he said he'll mock them. See? He has long suffering and patience, and then like with Noah, he shut the door. It didn't matter how many of them got up to the boat and beat on it to get in. Noah couldn't open the door, and God wouldn't. This is time's up. So that's what happens though, despise God's grace and patience, uh, his long suffering and kindness and his goodwill. That's the kind of love it's talking about that God has for the world. It's not a covenant love. He's even his enemies, he has no pleasure in their death. He would that they turn. And even Jesus said at times, it said God is merciful. He's good to the evil and the unthankful. That's his nature. But does that mean he's going to overlook the evil they've done? There's the day of wrath, which we talked about. And that's what he talked about, that Jesus wants to save us from everyone, because there's going to be the day of wrath, and it's going to be a horrible time for most people, okay? So he said, you judge yourselves unworthy of the kingdom, okay? Now, when Jesus was preaching to the towns and cities in Judea and Jerusalem and so forth, he told them, and most of them rejected his message. He said, Sodom and Gomorrah 
will be judged lesser. They'll do better at the day of judgment than you will. So we can say everybody Jesus preached the gospel to and the apostolic ministers and Paul, anyone who heard that true gospel and rejected it, they're going to be punished worse than the Sodomites. And everybody thinks the Sodomites were bad, and they were. But they rejected God under the system, and they deserved what they got. But Jesus said an astounding thing. If I went there and preached what I preached to you, they would have repented. But see, he was not required to give them extra grace because that's not the system they were under. But he was just in his dealings, and he was long-suffering with these people. So he's telling everybody else, you've had Christ preach to you. You've been given more truth and more light, more grace. You're going to a deeper hell than the wicked of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, isn't that astounding? That still applies, okay? So when people speak, oh, how bad they were, well, you better make sure you're in Christ so you won't experience the wrath of God. That's what he's talking about. Verse 9. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Okay. So they were laboring physically and materialistically in the world so they wouldn't have to burden these people. They wanted to get the gospel to, and they didn't want money to be a problem. So they took care of what they were doing, because at the time they weren't being supported by other churches at that given moment. Now, later on, when I see Paul, he was getting support from certain Christians and certain churches. They would send him support. But at this time, obviously, he wasn't. So he worked. He was a tent maker. So him and his own, they worked to provide for themselves. Okay? Because we did not want to be a burden to you. And later, being converted and taught and discipled, they were taught and understood their duty to help poor, needy Christians and to help the minister of his full job if he was a traveling evangelist or if he was a full-time shepherd and he wasn't doing anything else but laboring in the Word, then they felt required. Even the old and new said that. Well, they can refuse it like Paul did. But that doesn't mean he was any better than any other. Peter took his wife with him everywhere he went, and he expected to be supported, and he was. And Paul reminds them of that when they were complaining. He said, so only I and Barnabas, we can't be supported? He's being sarcastic with them. He said, you support Peter and his wife? And he didn't complain about that. He was saying that was their apostolic call, and... You had a, a duty to feed them and, and give them a place to stay while they were visiting. Okay, It didn't say you have to make them rich, you know, like they do today. The prosperity people, that's what they want. They have bigger meetings and because they know there's more money. So that's the name of the game. Okay, Verse 10, And you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Okay, he's saying you received the Lord. He calls them believers as a whole. So you witness it and you agree that we were sincere, we were honest, we lived righteously, we weren't 
immoral. We weren't thieves. We weren't covetousness. We weren't coveting your money. We were blameless. You could find no fault in us, what he's saying, as far as we came. Our intentions were good, okay? So you being converted, disciples, we loved with Christ's love, and you loved us in return. So he's seeing it's Christ in them. That's why he was so amazed at their growth. Uh, like I said, this is the one church that Paul seemed to think it was the best one. He didn't compare them with Corinthians, but you read Corinthians and Galatians, and you'll see he had some problems there. Okay. Of leaven continued on, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and employing each one of you as a father with his children. So he's saying, we're your spiritual fathers. Remember, Paul claimed to be the spiritual father of Timothy and Titus. So when he preached the gospel and got converts, he considered him his spiritual children. And that's why when he left, he would send people back to check on them. He didn't just forsake them and say, oh, at least they're saved. Well, they can fall away if you don't check on them properly, okay? So they knew and recognized that we had the gift of exhortation and teaching. And in that, we admonished you. That means to gently warn and tell them what? That to stay with Christ. They didn't give them a false gospel. They gave them a, you're going to be a warfare. You're going to be a pilgrimage. You're going to have spiritual enemies. And you got to stay with the Lord. So he said, we loved you as a father, his children. And he was. And he told even the Corinthians of it. He says, you may have many teachers, but you only have one spiritual father. See, because he laid the foundation and started the church. And there they were arguing with him. <laughs> and he was saying, you might have many teachers, but I'm your spiritual father. And being an apostle, he could do things that other Christians could. He could turn them over for God's punishment, and he did. Certain many of them died because they did not discern the body of Christ properly. He said, many of you are sick and die that you won't be damned with the world. It was God's punishment to get them to repent how the richer ones were treating the poor Christians and then taking communion dangerous thing to sincerely take communion when you know you're living in sin. You might drink punishment to yourself. If you're a real Christian, you won't get away with it. If you're a false Christian, it won't mean nothing, okay? You're already damned. Verse 12, so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord or God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We showed you how as newborn Christians to walk and how to live to please Christ, whose kingdom you are now a part of. And we are so grateful for your readily acceptance of the true gospel. He didn't get much trouble there. We showed and reminded you, too, that you have to continue in the grace of the Lord. You have to continue in the faith of Christ. You have to continue in the fear of the Lord. That's what Paul taught all the disciples. He didn't say, oh, you're saved, it don't matter now. Well, find that. He knew they could fall away like some of the Galatians did. And other churches, he said, you believed in vain, told some of the Corinthians that. Perhaps you're disqualified from Christianity. Or people say, oh, it means work. No, it don't. If you studied the three times 
the word juice, it means cast aside and out. It don't mean put on the shelf. It means reject it. Uh -huh. He said, examine yourselves. Perhaps you've been disqualified. And then he also told, say, once I'm coming, and I'll give you a choice. Shall I come in gentleness and love, or I come in sharpness and a sword? That meant he could turn them over to the devil. He could put temporary punishments on them. He could have them thrown out. He said, you're a flaw to the church. You don't mean business. Get out. They didn't play with these people like they do today. Okay. Verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as, as not the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So he's saying it's working in you now. You've, you're Christians, you're believers, you're disciples. And now he writes this possibly 10 months later and seeing the progress of them, he's astounded. All his workers are they've just done so well. He's very impressed with them. So we are so thankful and joyous or joyful that you receive the word of God as the word of God and you accept it, Christ. And his spirit lives in you, okay? And it is working in you who believe and obey. He's saying it is working in you. It's a continual process, okay? Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and not in my presence only, but also when I'm gone, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, this is what they were doing. It was working in them and out of them. They were producing actions and faith and not just talk. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, that's his spirit, spirit of Christ, to will and to do. That's the new man. The new man wills and delights to do the will of God but we don't have to listen to him. We still have a choice. He still, and that's why the epistles in gospel, he appeals to our will to do. And that's why he tells the Christians, do this and don't do that. See, it's not automatic. They have the right to do it or they can refuse to do it. And then ultimately can go back to the world. That's their choice. So he's saying, your will's not altered, but you have a new man that delights to do God's will, and you have an old flesh that will tempt you, and the devil will rise it up if you let him. So that's a part of our warfare. We are groaning. We want to be delivered from this, and when the rapture comes or death comes, the old man's left behind. He doesn't go. We can no longer be tempted by the devil or the old man. See, he's not taken with us. So he's saying what? He works to will and do of his good pleasure. But if you don't get on board and, and consent to it, it ain't going to work. As Paul said, you've received the grace of God in vain. If you don't apply it. So people today, it's all irresistible grace and one-sided. It's a lying gospel. Grace is to be used all the graces. And that's why we are told to put on the armor of Christ, 
to put on the fruits of the Spirit. He's telling the Christian to do that. He doesn't say it's automatic. So if Christ is in us, we have to yield to Christ. We are yoked to him. He says you're one spirit. But you can separate yourself. You can be lured by the pleasures of the world and go back into the world. Paul speaks of those who've done this. And Peter said it's better that they'd not known the Lord than they depart, because their punishment in hells can be far greater for crucifying Christ again. So we can see justice is going to come into play, and nobody gets away with anything. The good or the bad, God's going to take care of these things, okay? So it's always the divine and the human side in spiritual matters. Anybody tells you otherwise, they're false. James wasn't talking about human works. He was saying, you know, a man is justified by works and not by faith only. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's obedience. That's what he's talking about. And that comes from yielding to the Lord. But it's not done without yielding to the Lord. And other people, they want to claim everything's of work. And it's interesting that Paul spoke more on works. And Titus, he said, be careful to maintain good works and lay a foundation. Peter said the same thing, lay up a good foundation for eternal life. He implied you can lose this. I mean, Paul, probably the one we know the most, walked closer and knew God's will more than him. And he said, I'll do anything to attain to the resurrection. He didn't say I'm saved, once saved, and I don't have to worry about it. And then toward the end, he said, I fought a good fight, and I overcame, and I'm still overcoming. He proved it by his actions. So we have to remember, Christ is divine. That's the spiritual side. We are the branches. That's the human side. And the fruit is only made by both, the union. Jesus does not bear fruit in us without our cooperation. It's us joined to the Lord that produces the fruit. So any time you see one side or the other, see the Catholic doctrines and the Pharisaical, we're talking about human works and human efforts. And they twisted it more later. Oh, it's all faith and faith alone. Scripture don't teach that. It teaches you can't do nothing without Christ and you can do all things with him. But you have to consent to it. See, you don't ever find this automatic. So you read the apostles, you read the epistles. So they say 40% is warning, reproof, correction, telling you to do something or not do something, telling you to be careful, you don't fall away and are damned. Talks about these things. The false teachers skip over those words. They just take two or three out of context. Well, that's it. Well, they preach a false gospel and they're going to hell one day for doing it. Verse 14. For you, brethren, now he's calling them brother, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ, which are in Judea. This was the Jewish converts. Remember the first six or eight years, the gospel was only preached to Jews. It was only when Peter opened the door to Cornelius that it started going out to the Gentiles, okay? So he said that he said that you were imitators of them, 
in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. So you act as the churches in Judea did, and they were conforming to Christ. The Jewish Christians bore persecution and conflict from the old Jewish system, the Pharisees and the priests. Even the apostles were beaten and worn, and some of them had to hide at times. You suffered from your own countrymen, and you displayed such loyalty to the one God. So even the Gentile community didn't like this coming to the Lord because they worshipped all kinds of gods as they did in Rome. And so when a person only worshipped one God, they began to understand. They thought their gods were demons. Well, how would you like to feel about that? You can see why they started up trouble. <laughs> so you suffered from your own countrymen for the same reason. And they found out that true Christians look at idols and other gods as simply demons. Well, you can see why that would stir up some trouble, wouldn't it? And so those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, okay? That's told all of us. Wicked people hate the true Christian. They expose their evil, even their lifestyle, by not doing anything. They don't like do-gooders. It makes them seem bad, see? They're of a different system. The world loves its own, Jesus said. Live and let live. I'm okay, you're okay. Do-gooders are not liked. That's why Cain murdered his brother Abel. He thought God would accept his offering. Well, it was either the wrong offering, the grain offering, or it was his heart was not right before God, and God implied it was this latter. He may have accepted the grain offering and the blood. He could have got a lamb from Abel, but we don't know the full situation. So he wanted to shut Abel up and out. See, because maybe we complained to Abel, and Abel said the same thing God did. If you'd live God, God would accept you. Well, he didn't like that. Made him so angry, he killed his brother. See, he could not strike God directly, but he could Abel. And he was punished for it, too. He didn't get away with this. He was the first murderer. And it's interesting when Jesus told the Jews that were seeking to kill him, he says, you're like your father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. How was he a murderer? The devil inspired Cain to kill Abel. He encouraged him as a beast. God said, if you have this crouched beast at your door, uh, overcome him. Well, evidently, Cain could have resisted it, and he didn't do it. And he listened to him, and he inspired him. So the devil's claimed to be the murderer along with Cain. And Jesus told the Pharisees, your father's the devil, and you'll be a murderer just like him. And they did. It proved to be true. Verse 15. Okay, let's continue on. Who both killed the Jews, killed the Lord Jesus, murdered him, and the prophets, and drove us out. Many of us that came, they stirred up people to drive them out of the area. They didn't want them there. They are not pleasing to God. If you're not pleasing to God, a person's going to hell. Very simple. They don't please him. They're in trouble. Okay. 
He said, they're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. He's speaking of the Jewish leaders, the priestly family, the Pharisees, the scribes. So the Jewish leaders, the priests and Pharisees, they had Jesus killed by the Romans. They're hypocrites even today. They say, we did not kill Jesus. Rome did it. You filthy hypocrites. They blackmailed Pilate to do it. If Pilate hadn't have done, they said, we'll go and tell Caesar. You're not Caesar's friend. They forced Pilate, and Pilate, he'd already had trouble with the Caesar, and that's why he was in Judea, and he didn't want to have no more trouble, so he gave in. And remember, he washed his hands and said, well, this man's innocent, but here, you can do it. I'll obey you. It was the Jews that did it, and they still tried to deny it. That's why God gives them over to lying spirits, okay? Just like he does anyone who resists the truth. If you hire someone to murder, you are also a murderer, and that's what they did. See, they couldn't, as a Jewish province, they couldn't execute people without Rome's permission. They couldn't do it, okay? So that's why they sought it. So he says they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Now, this is Old Testament prophets and New Testament. They already killed James. That didn't take too long. And they killed Stephen, and they killed some other ones they didn't like, and they scattered them. Well, see, they drove them out of the area, and that's how they started going to different parts of the world in the beginning. And remember, the apostle is a prophet. The 12 apostles, all apostles are prophets. So they have both. The apostle, it says, has first authority, and seconder is the prophet. So you can be a prophetic ministry and not be an apostle, but you cannot be an apostle and not be a prophet or an evangelist or a teacher. He has basically all five-fold ministries. Those under him, you can be a teacher and not be an evangelist. So it works that way. But they were prophets, okay? They spoke the mind of God and gave the word of God as God commanded them to, okay? So they killed them, and they drove those out. Philip went down into Ethiopia when they were being persecuted. They preached the gospel as they went out. They displeased God. He's talking about the Jewish leaders. Even Jesus said, they shall come who? The Gentiles shall come from all directions, northeast, southwest, and sit down with Abraham in the kingdom. Why? Because Abraham's the father of faith to the Jew and the Gentile, and they will sit down with him because they're children of faith. Uh-huh. The Gentiles, okay? Yet the children, the Jews, of the kingdom will be cast out. Okay? And you read that? They shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth because they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. The majority of Jews are going to be cast into the lake of fire. There's only be a remnant saved. Okay? We got to remember this. A small number, that's what it means, will be saved in comparison to the millions there was over the generations. Okay? Well, just so, even a small number of Gentiles will be saved. But there will be millions times more of Gentiles than there will be Jews. And we don't see the word remnant used for the Gentile church. 
It's only used of the Jewish. God rejected the nation and went to the Gentiles because of their disobedience, the killing the prophets, the continual arrogance. They despised the Gentile. They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Yeah. They misrepresented God. And finally, he got enough of it. Let's stop here. Lord, give us wisdom and common sense as we read the scripture and how to apply it in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.